fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News to talk about how eating falafel makes you not racist with my friend Vienno. Objective truth. Finally. <laughs> presented from Rebel News. How are you, Vienna? Um, I'm all right. Uh, I'm listening to a four-hour-long ambient noise album at the moment. Uh, I'm uh, like 25 minutes in. Not a lot's happened, I gotta say. <laughs> How are you? I forgot that you were listening to this. It's, uh, uh what Vienna was listening to is, uh... A artist named Yule, and the song or the album is called Glitch Princess. And the very last track is five hours long, or close to five hours long, and uh, it's just ambient humming noises, pretty much. We'll post the link in the <laughs> in the episode description. <laughs> There's some pretty good tracks on the. We were talking about music right before we went live too, which is uh, something that uh, you know you get me talking about that, and I won't shut up. So. <laughs> A little delayed on recording, but uh, in terms of our timeline, I mean, you're getting it fresh right now. It really doesn't matter. But, uh, but yeah, uh, we this is the catch-up episode, so you're going to be like, hey, an early episode. You just released an episode, and uh, that's fair. I had COVID. Uh, we're feeling great now. Like, it's almost completely gone. I think even my voice sounds normal now. I don't know. Do you notice a difference now? I feel I feel good. Vienna's chewing right now. They gave me the thumbs up, but that's... Uh, <laughs> this is probably going to be a shorter episode, though, because uh, honestly, not a lot happened, uh, which is good because uh, this makes catching up a little easier. So uh, on that, I guess, unless, Vienna, do you have any closing thoughts while you're still chewing? <laughs> no? no? Oh, you see uh, me take a bite. <laughs> Why do you ask me a question? <laughs> I just <laughs> making it entertaining for the folks. You at just home. want the podcast to sound like I have my mouth full. <laughs> uh, sadly, it's not falafel though, right? So it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so unfortunately, uh... it's racist. <laughs> Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy! I'm a weirdo. Alright! <laughs> Great start. We're, we're doing the week of April 18th to April 22nd. And the very first episode, uh, Monday the 18th, David Menzies is guest hosting. Which means that Ezra is likely in court again defending or pursuing one of his many lawsuits at least that usually when he's out that's the reason although this week they didn't give a reason so i'm just going to assume that that's what it was and there isn't anything to talk about here because the whole episode is david trying to claim that the trans movement is like the parable of the emperor having no clothes so it's something like the trans movement is saying that people who identify as whatever gender or non-gender is like the equivalent of the people who said the emperor had no or had clothes when he was clearly naked. Like we're all confused or something. <laughs> uh, and it was just, uh, you know, 20 minutes of uh, nonstop misgendering people, dead naming them, 
spouting out uh, transphobic garbage and uh, not a single point was raised that I could argue against or give some sort of information uh, to. So, uh, yeah. And uh, I guess all I can add to this is just remember, this is the organization that is uh, currently trying to fight to be called a news organization when they just do 20-minute segments about how trans people are silly. So, uh, something to keep in mind. <laughs> in terms of news content, I don't know if there's any news content there. Jody, that's cultural commentary, don't you know? <laughs> that's one of the categories that gives them, you know... That gives them a diverse enough range of media sources to be considered a news organization to get their tax break. They're going to use this segment in the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, my God. <laughs> they probably would. But it, it is it is weird to me that this is David Menzies' thing now. I think pretty much for the past like four or five weeks, this is the only content we've gotten from Menzies is... Uh, Leah Thomas won a swimming race and now we must destroy trans people is pretty much all he does now. And it's like, okay. Like, I don't like, it's gr like great Leah Thomas, but there's like an element here where it's like th this one person won a race and then that's, that's the thing that we need to be worried about. <laughs> you know? Nothing about mm -hmm. the rest of society. Just one person won a race and we we now must be afraid i wonder if it's just kind of like you know the trucker stuff is over the like you know trump's not really a thing so they can't talk about the election the vaccine mandates and whatever have been lifted so like they just don't have like a go-to topic right now and they're just like okay this one's good enough so it'll get us a few clicks until something new happens yeah it's like they're playing their hits waiting for like uh a new narrative to start spinning, you know? Yeah, because they know that they can't talk about Ukraine and Russia because that is too divided on the right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the interesting thing. They do avoid that topic uh, completely almost. Uh, the other thing, too, is it, it's like I feel that right now Ezra is doing a lot of legal stuff. And because of that, like, there's also just a sense in which he's too busy to focus on the show. Uh, especially in the last few weeks, because it, it feels like he's been phoning it in just like a little bit. Uh, although, of course, a little bit more. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like in terms of like spinning elaborate narratives, because sometimes, you know, he can get creative, at least. <laughs> I think he's wrong and dangerous in his creativity. But like, I don't know. Uh, lately, it's just been like, isn't Elon Musk great? And it's like, OK, sure, bud. But uh, yeah, that that was, you know. David Menzies. I mean, he does go on to do the interview segment this time. I guess last time David Menzies was co-hosting uh, or guest hosting, uh, Ezra still came back to do the interview. But this time, uh, it's David the whole way. And his guest is kind of weird. It was a weird choice. It, it, speaking of the, the Ukrainian conflict, too, it's very. it was weird. Uh, some things were said in it that, that were weird. But anyways, the guest was this person named Brian Lieb who is the executive director for Iranian Americans for Liberty. I couldn't find much about this organization. They just seem to be like, Iran, the, the regime in Iran is bad and we need to side with America, which is good. Like, uh, th that's pretty much, <laughs> pretty much the content of this thing. 
and also, I guess Brian ran for Congress uh, unsuccessfully, so uh, that's the other part of it. But like, that's that seems to be their main sort of like pitch. Hmm. And they begin the sort of talk because I guess they're going to talk about the Iranian nuclear agreement. And he says, Brian says, that this agreement is going to allow Iran to have nuclear weapons. And they don't, like, I know that that's not true. (laughs) But I was waiting for Brian to, like, pull out any information (laughs) to suggest that this is the case. It's just, I guess the assumption is you make the agreement somehow that's like caving to Iran and then because America is caving to Iran they get to do whatever they want like create nuclear weapons like I don't I don't understand the argument I mean there's no argument it's just he he said it and I'm like you're an idiot (laughs) yeah they then move the talk to Brian talking about how Russia is the one who's in control of the negotiations and how they're like manipulating America in some capacity. And that leads them into talking about Ukraine and the conflict there. And David Menzies sort of takes a a stronger stance being pro-Ukraine than Ezra has so far on the show. So David comes right out and says, "We, we as Canadians should be supplying Ukraine like fighter jets and helicopters, which is something I haven't heard Ezra say on the show uh, at Mm -hmm. all. So I don't know what that's a reflection of. I just thought it was the contrast there is interesting. But yes, I mean, that's pretty much all that gets said in this interview. But (laughs) just to to land on the the Russians controlling the agreements or, or like... It's like they assume that because Russia is a party to the agreement that and therefore every once in a while they might use some leverage that that means like Russia is controlling everything. You know what I mean? Even though like again, Trump made agreements with nefarious parties, but they always spin that as like, "Oh, that's Trump just being strong daddy figure," you know. But anytime Biden makes any kind of agreement with a, a government that they don't like, it's just like, oh, he's kowtowing. He's he's weak. He's. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very funny how like. The right is just kind of like. I, I mean, both right and like the liberals are being like, oh, wow, everything is completely different under Biden when the vast majority of things are exactly the same. The only small sense of fairness that I'll give is like there are certain like mechanisms that aren't available to Biden in certain uh, cases in terms of like Congress and the Senate or well, especially the Senate with like how divided it is. And so there's certain avenues that aren't available for him in that respect, right? But yes, especially in terms of foreign policy, they're, they're pretty close to being on the same page, you know, Ma- except for maybe actually getting the Iranian agreement, which is like, maybe like the, 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 yeah, only no, like that's, that's a pretty solid thing. Like, yeah. Wow. Lifting the boots off of the necks of an entire nation. Like it's something, it's a good thing. It like, yeah, it's just like the Iranian agreement is good in so many ways. Like even even if you think negatively about the regime, like 
making sure that they feel secure and don't have to get nuclear weapons is also a pretty good thing, right? If you make them feel like uh, uh, threatened and they might go, hey, getting nuclear weapons is a great way to like protect ourselves, like that could cause problems later on for many reasons. So it's like, yeah, okay, like get an agreement. Like, I don't know, this is such a bad thing. Amazingly, creating the sense of a state of ste- a state of siege doesn't like you know make people suddenly be like, "Oh wow, we need to resist our evil government." It makes them say, "Oh wow, these other people hate us. We need to support the regime." Yeah. Or it just gives further reason for like you know security forces to crack down on any sort of internal dissent. So. You know, none of it works the way that people claim it does. All it does is hurt people. Yeah. And, like, the poorest people the most. Agreed. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's that's it. That was uh, the Monday. That was the David Menzies episode. So on the 19th, I, I guess this is when a court struck down the mask mandate for airlines. Or at least it had happened recently, so now Ezra wants to talk about it. In the United States. In the United States, yes. Thank you. And, of course, Ezra likes it because he's, like, anti-mandates and anti-masks. So he's, like, really cool. Good job, America. And Ezra spends most of the time just playing clip after clip of, uh, I guess, mask mandates being enforced. So it's just clips of people, like, either yelling at other people, being like, put on a goddamn mask! Or it would be, like, police officers, like, questioning people about masks and stuff like this. And so it's just a whole... He goes on and on just fucking playing clips of this. And he compares... <laughs> he compares all the clips to uh, Nazi Germany, saying that, like, this is just what it was like in Nazi Germany when everyone was just following the rules and going along and being sheeple. Uh, and it's like, okay, bud. <laughs> I mean, this is a common narrative that he has over and over again. But he plays all that to move in to talk about this current decision. And he says that the only reason why the left is mad at what this judge did was because the judge is a young, smart woman who was appointed by Donald Trump. You know, yeah. Whoa, a a bureaucrat appointed for political purposes is using her bureaucratic powers for political purposes. Like, yeah, they're mad at her for exactly that. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) There's like a weird sense in which they keep focusing on the young woman bit as if that's the part everyone's mad about. And the young part, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But like, I don't, I haven't seen a single piece or argument from anyone that addresses the fact that she's a woman. But even mm. like Ezra's next guest also sort of raises that point. And it's just weird. It's like no one's making that point. But like I, I feel like they're like, well, she is a woman and she's on our side. So therefore, us anti-identity uh, politics people need to constantly talk about her identity and how the left hates her identity, even though they're the ones who are obsessed with identity. <laughs> That's the vibe I get, anyways. But the guest this week is Janine Yunez, who 
seems to always come on when we have to talk about mask mandates in the United States because she works for a libertarian organization that is helping to defend uh, with legal representation. So Janine Younes uh, is, I guess, a lawyer in that capacity and helps defend people who are, say, lost their job because they refused to vaccinate and stuff like this. Now, we learned last time Janine appeared on the show, because this is like her fifth or sixth appearance at this point, maybe more than that, uh, that she she used to refer to herself as a leftist who was just anti-vaccine, or at least anti-vaccine mandates. And now she is uh, officially a non-affiliated born-again political person. <laughs> A woke centrist. She has, <laughs> she has been baptized into a new political identity. So, I mean, like, I would have uh, guessed this from the start, that the uh, her identifying as a leftist would not last very long, and it's already gone. So, But she's on to talk about this case. And Ezra begins the interview, anyways, by... <laughs> referring to the judge's decision in terms of the mask, he calls it a let my people go moment <laughs> and compares the judge to Moses. <laughs> For... <laughs> you know, because like when it, I, and like he plays videos of all the people on the airplanes, because I guess they announced it on the airplanes that the mask mandate had been lifted. And so there's some videos that floated around where people were on the planes, like taking off their masks all happy. So this is the, it's the let my people, <laughs> let my people go. <laughs> We've been freed from our slavery. <laughs> of being protected from a pandemic. I want to go to bed. Like, <laughs> can we be done with the episode? I'm over it. <laughs> uh, uh, no. <laughs> As punishment, <sighs> because, uh, you know, we are, I was going to, are we pro-Moses, anti-Moses? I can't. <laughs> We're pro-Moses, I think. Okay. All right. Fair. Sure. At one point in the conversation, Ezra brings up the fact that China was trying to secure masks at the beginning of the pandemic, and he says this fooled him into thinking there must be something to the idea of masks, even though now he doesn't believe that masks are at all effective. And I want to play uh, a clip of him saying this because it is kind of amazing how Ezra tries to justify his flip after a couple months into the like the pandemic when he believed that it was real to all of a sudden, uh, you know, he thought it was real and it was created by China as a bioweapon to kill us all. And then he changed that to it's a globalist plan to, like, enforce mandates on us and control us. Like, that switch happened, like, two months into the pandemic. And he's still trying to justify it to himself of why he had his initial stance when he thought it was real to now. And, and so that was, he's going to give his excuse here. But then, uh, at the end of the clip, Ezra finally starts getting into something about the actual ruling, but he's still kind of vague. I remember in the very early months seeing news that uh, the Chinese dictatorship basically called to its expats around the world to hoover up all the PPE, the, the masks and the gloves and the goggles that they could. And so in January, February, March, when the West wasn't really paying close attention, millions of dollars worth of, of 
personal protection equipment was hoovered up in the UK, United States, Canada, Australia, and sent to China. This is not a, a rumor or a theory. It, it's they just bought them up, and and so part of me thought, well, it must be valuable if China's hoovering them up. But I think no. I think you're right. It's just someone thought, well, we got to do something, and this is a something. And I thought, well, if China is doing that something, maybe it's strategically important. Uh, but there was no science underneath any of this, and I think that was one of the points of the judge: is he, is he, you got to answer questions, you got to be transparent, you have to be open to comment. You can't just issue a regulation that destroys lives and and industries and be immune from scrutiny. I think that's why this judge ruled the way she did. What industries have been destroyed by masks? The non-mask industries. <laughs> I don't know. No, nothing's been destroyed. I mean, that's the thing. I guess, like, in their minds, like, lockdowns destroyed small businesses, and they're still trying to ride on that, like, talking point. But even then, like, yeah, there were some businesses that struggled during this pandemic. But, like, I haven't seen much about, like, you know, the utter destruction of small businesses or, or businesses or, like, but, but even then, like, as you're saying, like, how does this at all relate to masks? Yeah, and also, like, small businesses are not an industry. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> right. It's not like all of, like, the wheat industry <laughs> or the yeah. agricultural industry has been completely wiped out or, like, something. The car industry no longer exists. Um, retail has been destroyed. We all get our goods by walking down to the local warehouse where they just hand them out for free because retail is gone. This is like their big thing, though. Like, you'll notice, because he mentioned regulations there. And this is the thing that we've been, I've been saying all along about this, which is like, this all has to do with, like, them being against regulations. And specifically, they always refer to, like, regulations being handed down by these sort of, like, bureaucrats that are unelected. Like, the unelected health bureaucrats that are controlling our lives we don't even we don't even get to vote for who's the public health official so therefore anything that they decide should decide shouldn't ever be law like it's somehow yeah <laughs> yeah just like just like the unelected judge that made this ruling <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, i guess the only difference here is this judge was at least appointed by the senate but then it's like, so it's it's not like, it. De- I mean, like, I guess it depends on how, like, certain people within the EPA uh, are appointed to their job. But usually they will go through some sort of, like, hiring process through the civil, civil service. It's not like, it's not like, uh, I don't know, Congress is voting every time <laughs> somebody gets hired at the EPA, you know? I think all hires should be up to referendum. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere? In every job? Yes. Yes. All right. For a bit of background, the person's name is Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell, and she was appointed to the United States District Court for the Middle District of Florida in 2020 by Donald Trump. So this is where, this is the court which this was being fought. And she was confirmed by the Senate in a 49-41 party line vote, which is not surprising. Okay. What is surprising is she was 33 when she was appointed to the court. So she's 35 today. I'm older than this judge. (laughs) Okay. 
I'm older than this sitting judge who made this decision. And it makes so she's the youngest judge ever appointed by Trump. I don't think she's the youngest judge ever appointed. Uh, but still, this this age difference does actually, according to the Bar Association, deem her to they deem her to be unqualified for that reason because they have something where it's like you have to be 10 or 12 years out of law school before you can like become a judge under their mm -hmm. well like before you get certified for, by them qualified by them to be a judge and she of course did not uh meet that time limit or whatever but you could go okay but maybe she's just like super skilled or like whatever so like we'll we'll waive this part of it it doesn't really matter kind of thing right but she was also deemed unqualified because she's never tried a single case before she became a judge. She had only been in court twice and it was during school. <laughs> and she's a judge. <laughs> now granted, she does like Ezra. So this Ezra has a law degree. He would be allowed to be a judge <laughs> even though he hasn't tried anything. Is this one of those positions too where she'll now sit as a judge until she's like 75 it's a lifetime appointment mm-hmm it's a lifetime appointment so uh, so long as she that's why you get them get them fresh get I them mean, young that is what they're doing that's the whole reason mm -hmm. you put in people like neil gorsuch uh uh and the the i like beard guy brett kavanaugh i almost forgot his name <laughs> i mean in the grand scheme of things, they were both young appointments to the Supreme Court. And the idea is you get them in and they'll when they're like in their 40s and they'll last longer, you know. And uh, yeah, it's terrifying. So here's here's my favorite part of this whole thing, though. So her legal ruling in this case is shocking in what it argues. It's a 59 page ruling. And the punchline is that a law which passed in 1944 which gives the federal government the authority to combat communicable disease as part of a sanitation effort, she argues it was being improperly used by the CDC. She claims the CDC was not properly following this, this statute by issuing the mask mandate since the term sanitation refers to cleaning things and that masks don't clean things. She literally suggests in her 59-page ruling that the reason why masks don't qualify as sanitation is because they don't, like, I don't know, zap the germs and kill them before entering your face. <laughs> That's just, like, so... <sighs> Isn't that amazing? And here's... She didn't even read, like, a dictionary or something because... No, she... She cites the dictionary for this definition, okay? But the thing is, like, the term has many uses. And in the 1940s, it, like, it literally meant to stop the spread of communicable diseases. It didn't mean, like, using sanitary wipes to clean something. <laughs> I'm going to read the top three definitions of sanitation that um, are on DuckDuckGo. I guess I could also go to, like... Or here's Merriam-Webster. It says, definition one is the act or process of making sanitary. And the second definition is 
the promotion of hygiene and prevention of disease <laughs> by maintenance of sanitary conditions, often used attributively. See, but it says making clean. It's the cleaning part. Vienno, don't, <laughs> don't you get the, it? The third listed definition on DuckDuckGo says the practical application of knowledge and science to the preservation of health. The putting and keeping in a ser- sanitary condition. I mean, like, even think about what, what, like, the name of sanatoriums comes from the fact where they were trying to isolate and quarantine tuber- tuberculosis patients. Mm-hmm. So it's like they weren't cleaning the tuberculosis. They were literally trying to create a quarantine to keep the rest of society sanitary in the sense that you just remove the people with the disease. So the other thing that I was going to say is that if you actually read the 1944 statute, it does say at the end of like, it says sanitary effort, it lists a bunch of things. And then it says, and other measures. Mm -hmm. And even that was not enough for her to go, oh, an other measure? That's wearing a mask. Like she was thinking in her head that other measures mean like, I don't know, uh, hand sanitizer versus like, like vaporizing the virus or like like i don't know like the other measures of cleaning but not other measures of like preventing the spread of a communicable disease this is why drinking bleach works it's sanitary jody <laughs> cleans oh everything God. up that's it so that's that's why trump was doing it so he could get around this legal th- thing that he didn't know was a problem exactly yet. <laughs> he was just making sure he was listening to Whatever court decision that was. It's worth reminding that as young as she is, she has also been a longtime member of the Federalist Society, which has been trying to uh, appoint judges that attack what's called Chevron deference. So every single Trump appointee to the Supreme Court or through most of the courts across the land, they all are people that specifically agreed with the Federalist Society to get rid of this thing called Chevron deference, which we've talked before about on the show, but it is worth uh, a bit of a refresher. So Chevron deference was a famous Supreme Court ruling that argues that government institutions get to determine ambiguous statutes. So I will give the example, which is where Chevron deference gets its name, which is the case Chevron versus Natural Resource Defense Council. So the Supreme Court ruled in the 1980s that the EPA gets to decide, so the EPA is the Environmental Protection Agency, they get to decide how to interpret, say, the Clean Air Act, which was passed by Congress in the 70s. And the idea being that uh, that was listed by the Supreme Court is that judges are not experts. They're not scientists. So they should not be the ones deciding, say, what counts as clean air. Who gets to decide that should be the people who work at the EPA that have some knowledge of the subject, right? <laughs> so similarly, right, like, you know, uh, mask mandates. You, you appoint people to the CDC who then have the expertise who can then come up with proper regulation when it comes to disease prevention rather than, say, I don't know, having Congress vote all the time to be like, oh, this particular disease we need masks. Let's, pa- let's pass a law, right? Instead, you create CDC, EPA, all these governmental bodies that then do the regulating. And that has been the way that we've done things through for 
decades. And now people want to remove that. And here's the thing. So, you know, we get back to Chevron deference. Why, why was Chevron mad at the government? Why were they mad at the Clean Air uh, Act? Because Chevron was an oil company that wanted to dump toxic fumes into the air. And they didn't like that the EPA was going, oh, hey, we have this Clean Air Act. It's saying that, like, maybe we should clean this fucking air. So Chevron stopped polluting. And Chevron was like, I don't like that. <laughs> and so... Who- I don't like... I want my dirty air. <laughs> yeah, Chevron My dirty, dirty air makes the money happy. Yeah. <laughs> and so this has been an ongoing project for decades where oil companies have been constantly fighting and trying to get judges uh, appointed who are against Chevron deference so they can go on doing their polluting. And now the only reason I wanted to get into this again is because this is exactly what I've talked about on the show in the Canadian context. So when it comes to our own mask mandates, much like in the United States, our conservatives as well want to destroy the regulatory state. So they're using people's annoyance with being told to wear masks to mobilize them against health mandates being implemented by unelected health bureaucrats, right? So they're like, you got to be mad at these health bureaucrats. And the consequence of this is that it's going to make it hard for governments to ever mandate, say, for example, that employees should wash their hands before they make your food. Because, again, you need to pass a specific law that states that. It can't just be uh, tossed to a uh, health and safety uh, committee or anything uh, like that, right? Or, and let's be real, this is where all the money is coming from, to prevent the government from allowing an unelected environmental bureaucrat from regulating the amount of pollution oil companies get the dump in the air. Which, where do you think all that funding is coming from in Canada? It's all the oil companies that, like, I don't know, fundraise for the people that we cover on this fucking show. (laughs) And now all of a sudden they're coming out against the regulatory state? Oh my, I wonder why. What a surprise. And like, I don't know, like, I don't know why this is so hard for people. I mean, I I don't think people have thought about it at all. But all these like assholes who are like the anti-vaccine, anti-mask people who are running around. Like, do they not realize that what they're fighting against is the idea of like having the government regulate anything? (laughs) They're just like, I don't like wearing a mask. So now shit in my food, please. Insert that um, 2016 Libertarian Party. USA audio that's like what's next gonna get a license to to make toast in my own damn toaster (laughs) I do love that libertarian debate so good they get so mad like what was it the one guy said maybe we'll need licenses for people who drive cars I would like to see some kind of competency exhibited in order to start boo boo booed him because he thought driver license was a good idea oh my god i i do libertarians it wasn't even necessarily like driver's licenses it was just (laughs) that you have to exhibit competency in the ability to drive no fuck that you should come out of that womb and be able to hop right behind that steering wheel and give it a go exactly yeah there we go The government requires licenses for people to broadcast radio. The government requires licenses to get married. They require a license to drive. What's next? Requiring a license to make toast in your own damn toaster? Absolutely not. 
Governor? I think government has a basic responsibility to protect us against individuals, groups, corporations, foreign governments that would do us harm. In that context, a license to drive? You know, I'd like to see some competency exhibited by people before they drive. So, I will just say, we will move on, but I want to play one more clip, because just in case you think I'm making this all up about what they plan on doing, uh, Ezra pretty much just says it. So, here we go. Yeah, I mean, I, I skimmed it, and I, uh, you know, I, I think she sums it up really in the end, where she says, sorry, you can't just, this is not how you make laws in America. Yeah. Um, you can't just short-circuit the, the, the public comment, and you, you just, you, you're not a legislature. Uh, your yeah. agency, you can't just issue edicts from the high on Mount Olympus. And and I think it's obvious that Congress, I mean, you've got the, the House of Representatives, the Senate, the presidency, they're all in the hands of the Democrats. If they really believed in this, they could enact a law through the legislature. So you see that? If, like, you really want lead out of the water, you don't need scientists sitting around going, here's an appropriate level of lead in the water supply. Instead, what you need is to Congress actually to pass bills that'll say, like, this is the level of lead we need in our water. And, and Congress has to do this for every single chemical, right? Yeah, and they have they the, the <laughs> And they need to have the knowledge and the ability. So, so every person who gets elected to Congress should have, like, just a basic background of chemistry, uh, environmental science, health and safety, like, all of this, right? That's that's They also need to make it bipartisan so that the Republicans can lobby for an increased level of lead in the water and they can meet somewhere in the middle that's like a lot closer to the Republican level of lead. Like, I, I just, the next time you hear anyone at all who's your family member who wants to sit there and be like, all oh, these regulations, blah, 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 ask them if this is the world they want to fucking live in and how like feasible that world is. Like, do they want to go back to the 1970s when fucking rivers were on fire? Like, I, <laughs> I don't understand. I, you, you make that face, you know, but I'm like, I, like some of, like, there's a reason why the EPA and all that stuff actually ended up passing. Like, because people were like, yeah, we don't want our rivers on fire. <laughs> you know? What if, what if they're only on fire three months of the year, Jody? Is that acceptable? <laughs> Can we agree to that? Can we meet in the middle? No. <laughs> <laughs> River fires for some, miniature American flags for others. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, no, we're fucked. Uh, <laughs> so we move on. April 20th. Ezra wants to talk 420. about it. <laughs> this was 420. Oh, God. And it's such a boring fucking topic, too. Uh, have you ever heard of Robert Zolik? No. So this was my very first time hearing about him as well. And he apparently is a sitting board member on uh, for Twitter. One of their, uh, I guess, shareholder board shit they do. So cool. And Ezra right out the gate calls him an old Henry Kissinger type deep state actor. <laughs> like, Okay. And Ezra, like, sets this all up. He promises he's going to make connections and expose why Twitter would have this dude on their board. Uh, but he doesn't, he literally doesn't say anything. He just, like, plays a whole bunch of, of clips about other stuff. 
And he finally gets to it. And so he Ezra mentions that this guy worked for Goldman Sachs and he calls him a globalist. And he, he says this, he goes, whose money has a certain point of view. And he doesn't say what point of view that money has, but the money has a certain point of view. And then, and like, my only thought there is, like, he called him a globalist on, like, it's like a George Soros funding Antifa thing or something. Like, I, I don't fully uh, get it. Uh, and, and then that's it. And, and I'm like, okay. So, like, I Googled this guy. And the guy seems like a piece of shit. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, you work for Goldman Sachs. That's already going to have a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not going to sit here and defend you, right? But, like, okay, so this guy... He was a member of the Project for a New, uh, North American Century, and that might not strike a, a bell for a lot of people who are younger, but this was a group during the Clinton administration that was lobbying Bill Clinton to go to war with Iraq, and they had they were big in sort of like the 9-11, or like their materials were used a lot by a lot of 9-11 conspiracy theorists because they had written reports saying like we need a new pearl harbor in order to justify a war with iraq right uh they were they were very out there right and when george bush started running for president a lot of them got elected to george bush's government so paul wolfowitz was a member of the project for new north american century uh i'm pretty sure dick cheney was on there donald rumsfeld uh, and Robert Solik, okay? And mm. now all these people all got appointed uh, in the George Bush administration in various capacities. And of course, uh, September 11th happened, and then they used it as a justification to get into war with Iraq. So, you know, uh, there are con- there's a connective tissue there. So, uh, but, but that doesn't mean that they planned September 11th to actively... <laughs> I don't know, Jody. I don't know. I think there's good reasons to think that they didn't actually uh, plan it. But anyways. They, they said uh, in their camp, in their materials to Clinton, they were like, we need a new Pearl Harbor. We'll do it on a day that's, you know, <laughs> it's not too hot, not too, not too cold. And sticks in the brain because um, 9-11, you know? It's a... Yeah. We, you know, we can't do 7-11 because that's a store and we don't want to like tank their stocks. And we know the British so... are going to create 7-11 later. So we got to like... Yeah, yeah. And so, oh, well, and, you know, they whispered that part because they also did that one. Um, <laughs> like, yeah. I, the only reason, and the thing is, like, I know all this because, uh, and, and I've been open about this on the podcast before, which is I used to be a 9-11 conspiracy theorist when I was younger. And so I was into reading all this literature. So, like, when I saw the the project for North American Century pop up, I was like, oh, hey, I know all these people. So it was, like, fun. But, like, Either way, my point is, like, all those people sucked, and Robert Zolik was a part of those people, and they got appointed to the government and, like, lobbied George Bush to go to war in Iraq, like, all these other assholes. So, like, regardless of 9-11 conspiracy shit, like, uh, and I'm not a 9-11 conspiracy theorist anymore, but, like, you know, fuck fuck George Bush and fuck warmongers. So this guy's an asshole, you know? I don't think he's an asshole, like, like the way they think George Soros is an asshole. He's, he's just... He's a neo like here's the thing is this is like similar shit that Ezra was probably doing in this time period anyways. You know what I mean? So it's like Ezra's just as bad as this guy. I I've never heard Ezra say that he was against the Iraq war. And he's like super Islamophobic. He was probably for it. He ha- he worked Ezra worked with Christopher Hitchens <laughs> and they promoted each other and Christopher Hitchens was a war hawk. Like I don't know. I fuck fuck all these people. 
But the difference, Jody, is that Ezra was never invited to participate in the state. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't get that public money because nobody wanted to elect Ezra. And instead they elected Stephen Harper. But yes, Zolik, I think, went on to uh, support Mitt Romney for president and then became one of those Republicans who was like, you, Donald Trump. And so I guess that's why he's hated by people like Ezra. But like the whole the whole reason Ezra's bringing this dude up is also like at the end of this whole like stupid episode, he's like, this is why this is why Elon Musk took over Twitter. OK, it's so that he could expose Robert Zolik. <laughs> And all the nefarious things he was doing while on the board of Twitter. <laughs> Is it too late for Elon Musk to announce that he was Q all along? Would it, too late to who? Like, uh, technically, he could just do it whenever he wants to, if he wanted to. No, like, are QAnon people still around? I, like, if he's I, like... I haven't kept up. What if he says that he's like Jack Kennedy or whatever the one that they think is dead is? Yeah, I don't... I don't think he would be able to do that. I mean, he looks nothing like JFK. <laughs> well, not that some of the JFK people who are claiming to be JFK look like him, but Elon Musk really doesn't look like him. He's also sort of been known for a while, so it's like hard to sort of like... Anyways, the the point there that I was going to say is I saw a tweet recently suggesting that like QAnon followers are now like starting to worship Elon Musk's tweets in the same way that they sort of like read into shit into like Q's like posts on uh on the chans or whatever. And uh I didn't I didn't read into the tweet. I just got it on my periphery. So I am curious if like Elon Musk is becoming a new Q without like being the Q, you know? Well like that line from Ezra sounds exactly like that too, right? Where it's like, oh, Elon Musk is going to come out and clear out the deep yeah. state. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, that's that's QAnon stuff. But, yeah, like, I know, and it's like... Elon Anon. He's a deep state. He's Goldman Sachs. He worked in the finance. And it's like, fucking Elon Musk created Cash App and shit. Like, like they're all they're all finance tech weirdos. Like, okay, cool. And crypto people and all this shit. Like, they're all the same people. Yet, it's just the only difference is Elon... Elon? Elon Musk uh, is posting all the things that Ezra likes, and that's why he's he's the good billionaire. Elon. Elon. <laughs> so, Elon. El- Elon DeGeneres Musk? <laughs> I was just trying to do it like a, hello, mate. Hello, oh. <laughs> mate. Elon Musk. Well, I went for an Elon DeGeneres joke, so it's all good. The interview of this episode was really silly, too. It was uh, with Spencer Fernando, who's another just right-wing troll in Canada. And all they were talking about is how housing prices are inflating due to immigration. And uh, we've already covered that recently. It's same. It's the same stupid talking points, and they're all wrong. So, uh, you know, th- their argument is, you know, increased immigration means that there's more demand for housing. Therefore, the housing prices go up whatever so we get to the 21st and we get another day of COVID mandates are bad so you know mandates are bad it's not like we haven't heard this before and there are only two things that caught my attention in this boring and repetitive rant and that's he says uh being told to stay home during a lockdown is the equivalent of a cult telling you to disconnect from your family and i'm like 
the only difference there is you can stay at home and use your telephone and talk to your family during lockdown. <laughs> Which is different than the cult telling you to not pick up the phone and talk to your family, right? Two two different things. But Jody, I couldn't go hunt Easter rabbits with my grandma. But could you talk to her? <laughs> no, she's very hardcore Catholic. I have to like... <laughs> I can only do it based around religious ceremonies in person. Phones are of the devil, Jody. Well, who's in the cult now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing is he says that no guns were found uh, during the trucker protests. And I was like, really, bud? You mean you didn't hire a lawyer for the Coots blockaders? some of whom are now being defended by the lawyer that you hired after a stash of their weapons was found? That You don't recall any of that? <laughs> Jody, was that in Ottawa, though? He didn't specify, though. He literally just talked about the trucker protest as a general movement. It didn't happen anywhere else. It was just Ottawa. None of it, none of the, all the other stuff was <laughs> the deep state. Soros-funded Antifa. They still haven't released their documentary on Coots either, so I don't know if they're ever going to do it, but you know. I forgot that they were going to do that. Yep. You know, if we were embedded with white nationalist terrorists, probably doesn't, <laughs> probably doesn't look good on a resume, you know? Ezra then talks to Sheila uh, Gunn-Reed, you know, other rebel employee in the interview segment, who is literally the only journalist covering a trial regarding the fines given to Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church in Alberta. And when I say literally the only one there, I tried to look for any coverage by anyone else, and it doesn't exist. And Sheila, at many times during this uh, discussion with Ezra, says that she was the only one there from the media. <laughs> so, so everyone has tuned out and is doesn't care anymore. And and I think that's a good thing. I don't think anyone should care about this. So uh, we're over it. Yes, but I, I will say a, a few things that were said that were uh, kind of funny. So uh, I guess. Sheila makes some claim that uh, I guess Pastor Coates brought forward a charter challenge, uh, I, I, like sort of response being like, it was in my right to uh, open my church during the pandemic and the charter says so. And he tries to like challenge the charter uh, legally, right? To be like, my charter rights were, were violated. And Sheila says the judge was like, I don't care. Uh, it's not relevant to the case that I'm arguing, so I'm just going to ignore you, basically. It's kind of like what she says. And, you know, I have no way to verify that, because, again, she was the only one there to report on this, so I can't, like, double-check what she says, like, with what someone else says. But it is worth reminding that, like, he's done this since the beginning of the pandemic. Like, he's fought and lost many charter challenges. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it could be at this point that the judge is just like, this is the same argument you've been making since the start. All of the courts that have had this have said that you're full of shit. I'm just going to say you're full of shit and move on. Which is fair, you know? Yeah. There is legal precedent, which is how our court system works. Yep. Uh, so the other main point of discussion is that the judge, uh, or they claim, both Sheila and Ezra, that the judge is biased because the judge believes COVID is real. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they literally talk about the, the like masking procedures and like the COVID restrictions in the court to argue that like clearly this person is irrational. They still believe COVID is a threat. Like, oh my God. So therefore they can't ever uh, adjudicate this fairly. You need to get another, well, like a COVID denying judge like this. <laughs> Like, if you think about that, that means, like, 80% of judges, if if they associate the same way that the populace at large is, uh, would be people you can't try this case against because they're all biased, you know, because they believe the pandemic's real. The real thing is that for every case, you need two judges, <laughs> each with opposing opinions. If it's a murder case, you need to have a pro-murder judge. And every ruling for all the time has to result in a stalemate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, the judges have to fist fight on the floor to the death. And then uh, whoever survives, that's who wins the case. The murderer, the, the pro-murder ones often win, surprisingly. There was one moment that where Sheila, like, scoffs. She's like, at one point, at one point, the judge was asking, or asking Pastor Coates, were people shaking hands at your church? And Sheila goes, she was asking it almost as if they were committing murders by like shaking hands like they were murderers. And I'm just like, yeah, Sheila, they're spreading d disease throughout their community, violating a health mandate. Like they probably did kill people, you know? It wasn't intentional homicide, but like, you know, people probably still died as a result. Thinking back to h1n1 in my catholic school days when we had to do the peace be with you and shake the elbows at each other because normally you like shake hands during that yeah but that's a violation of your charter rights Vienna. did you ever uh, try to uh, send your school to court <laughs> unfortunately i think i was 11 so well if we lived no. in ezra world he, he probably wants every 11 year old to have a lawyer so However, at one point, Ezra goes on a bizarre rant. And there's moments here where he almost gets it. But this, so the rant is about police entering Pastor Coates's church to do an investigation. All right. And uh, th there's an anti-cop sentiment here, which aspects of it I will agree with. But there's other aspects of this that are like, oh, okay, Ezra. But uh, we'll just play the whole thing and see where he goes. Jason Kenny's hand-picked team barges into a church, goes to the kids' room and takes photos. I would shout, pedophile alert, stranger danger, who is the perv coming in to take photos of children not their own, uninvited without a warrant? That is seriously gross stuff. And to do that in the middle, and to talk to a clergyman in, in the middle, in the middle of a sermon or a prayer. I, you know what? I, I bet they, you know what? We, we know that people who like groping people sign up for the TSA. I'm not saying everyone in the TSA is a groper, but imagine if you're a groper, what an amazing job. You literally right. get paid to grope people all day. And if they resist, you get to make them miss a flight. Yeah. I wonder if in the same gross, gross way, if Jason Kenney said, all right, I don't want any Christians on this hunter-killer squad because you're going to have some, 
compunction about this. You're not going to feel great about disrupting religious services. I want all the Christian haters, I want everyone who's got a grudge against the church, uh, maybe you're a Satanist, maybe you just, I don't know, maybe you hate the church. I want to recruit the church haters because you're going to have to do some extremely immoral, unethical, and gross things. I don't want you blinking. I want you to go into that church nursery, barge in, scare the devil out of people, take photos of their minor children, and if anyone says, get out, I want you to threaten them. That's a special kind of person. In my mind, that's a person who should never work with any power or authority ever. But it sounds like that's who was specifically recruited by Jason Kenney. I, I love the narrative that these bylaw officers, which is what these people were, were handpicked or appointed by Jason Kenney. <laughs> Like, why would Jason Kenney make those decisions to handpick every city employee in He's Alberta? He's got so much time and so much power, Jody. Yeah. <laughs> also, just like, listen, you know, we we don't like the police here. We think they have problems. We've talked about this uh, ad nauseum. But bylaw officers taking pictures of the establishment to make sure that the the establishment is maintaining a sanitary condition. And if they happen to take a picture of the daycare when the kids are around to document whether the conditions are sanitary, to spin that to the to say that the bylaw officer is a pedophile is fucking weird. Just <laughs> If health inspectors take photos of the cockroaches on your table and there is a child at what the a table. Perv. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's it's so like when you actually think about the context that he's trying to like unravel here and try to like create this like ire in his audience, you're just like this was some low-level, like, bylaw officer going, like, let me take a picture of the sink in this daycare. Or, like, <laughs> you know, like, that's that's what he's talking about. They're all pedophiles and perverts, you know? And they were all they were all pedophiles and perverts that were handpicked by Jason Kenney. That's, that dude's basically Eichmann, you know? Like... It's just amazing. The banality of evil. Yeah. The everydayness of it. <laughs> I mean, that is the argument he made earlier in the week, too. This is the, yeah. it's the same fucking thing over and over again. But, uh, yeah, he's he's started. I found, like, these kind of rants where he calls people satanic or, like, perverts and pedophiles, that has been increasing in number. Uh, so I am documenting those just to be like, this This is a, a trend for Ezra. He's starting to now go into that register, and I'm, I'm not sure why. I mean, it's the big talking point in the American right right now, right? It's yeah, I guess <laughs> the big talking about the American right right now, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like there's it's also, right. I think, realizing the the Christian base aspect of it, too. And like, I think he's starting to get a, a large increase in Christian followers over the years. Uh, and he's he's trying to feed into that, I think. I can't wait until he converts to Christianity. Oh, that that'll be wild. 
But we... what denomination do you think Ezra will be? <laughs> what denomination? Oh God. Yeah. Ah, oh, Southern Baptist. He's gonna be. He's gonna be working with James Lindsay in the Southern Baptist Convention for sure. Yeah, that or like a Dutch Calvinist or something. Or he, he becomes one of the snake handlers that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, I could see him doing that. Like. <laughs> Like it will just be some random evangelical bullshit one, but what is what is Tim or uh, Tim McVady, uh, or Charles McVady, not Tim? I've for some reason Tim McVay. <laughs> Timothy McVay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, both shitty people. One, one arguably murdered a lot more people. <laughs> Ezra's gonna be a day of the ropist. No, but Charles McVady, who used to be like the the earpiece for uh, Stephen Harper on evangelical stuff, he he might just be an evangelical. I know he's friends with Ezra, so yeah, and like that's the thing about evangelicals is like half the time they're just part of some unaffiliated church. Yeah. What if he joins the Elmer Church of God? Uh, yeah, no, that'll be wrong. And then all he'll move to London, Ontario. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Please stay as far away from us as possible. So we get to Friday. Uh, Similar to how Thursday ended, Ezra spends all Friday complaining about how there has been no investigation into police officers who were chatting about beating trucker protesters. Uh, And, you know, in fairness, I do think, like, Ezra is right here, where it's like there's something fucked up about the fact that the police in Ottawa had leaked messages between each other uh, where they were laughing and joking about the fact that, like, wouldn't it be funny if we, like, beat these people up and stuff like this? Like, maybe that tells you something about the state of policing in, in everywhere, and that, like, maybe policing sucks, and maybe there's, like, institutional fixes that we can deal with this problem. But Ezra's solution, of course, is that it's just a few bad people that need to be fired as opposed to, like, some sort of systemic problem, you know? But, uh, I mean, there, there is some element where it's like, no matter what you think of the truckers, I don't think it's a good idea for police to be hanging around joking about harming people, you know? Mm. So that's, that was that segment. But then we get into the interview segment, and Ezra has National Post writer Rupa Subramanya on the show to talk about how the media is smearing Pierre Polievre as racist because his rallies are mostly white. <laughs> All of his rallies are white. And the media is trying to call him a racist because of it. How dare the media. And uh, honestly, like, so the arguments go, I think first they say that uh, his wife is not white. So he can't be racist. Uh, And then they talk about the fact that he came to London and he... He got some falafel and traded some Bitcoin with some non-white people. <laughs> so, so, so therefore, I he's saw, not racist. I saw somebody calculate the energy usage for that one Bitcoin transfer, and it was like the same amount that three houses use in a year just to buy that falafel. Oh my god. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so... uh I mean, the people who own... It's Tahini's, which is where he was at, right? Yeah, it was. True. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, so the, the fact is, like, yeah, they're, they're non-white, cool. 
but like just because they're they're cool crypto bros <laughs> just doesn't <laughs> we're we're crypto brothers we can't be racist towards each other <laughs> i don't know like i love like they really do just like they don't care about the idea of like mocking them for like being like you're, you're literally just being like i have i have like a black friend or like you know but they just think that's such a great argument it's like well my, my wife is not white so therefore there's no way at all i can hold any racist sentiments i once I had falafel, Bitcoin falafel. <laughs> i can't be racist <laughs> having falafel's ethnic you can't <laughs> you can't be I racist bit, i bit coined the falafel they stamp uh, the falafel with the B? <laughs> yeah. It's the Bitcoin falafel. They just destroy whatever server the Bitcoin is stored on every time you eat the falafel. They somehow they, they somehow connect the, the blockchain to the falafel <laughs> and make it a part of the process? Exactly. I don't know and how then, tech like, works. <laughs> well, the blockchain's forever, Jody. So the falafel becomes eternal. It's the eternal falafel. Exactly. It's unlimited falafel. It's a life hack, really. It's all you can eat falafel. No, I, if, you know what? If that was what Bitcoin really was, sign me the fuck up. <laughs> Let's go. But you got to um, mine the falafel first. <laughs> yeah, sure. We might have had to like strip mine an entire country, but I got falafel forever. <laughs> We're all good. Listen, Jody, the way that falafel mining works is, one, you have to go out into a field, you have to plant a bunch of lentils, you have to wait for the lentils to grow, you have to harvest the lentils. <laughs> takes a lot of food and energy and time and effort, and a computer has to do very, very complex math equations in order to prove that those lentils have grown, no, that and then lentils, that those lentils yeah. have been turned into <laughs> your falafel. <laughs> Oh my god, crypto is so stupid. But it, but it, it is worth just pausing that like this is Rupa's again like fourth appearance on his podcast here, and every single time she's been on, she's been on to be, hey, I'm a woman of color, and I don't think this person is racist. That's like her sole being on Ezra's show every single time she's come on, and god. I'm like, it just. It, it like I mentioned it the first time she was on because she said something like the truckers can't be racist because they were friendly to me was like her argument right and I, I thought like that was such a silly thing to do but I'm like that really is her entire shtick that's all she does and it's yep. like how how embarrassing that that's your career <laughs> uh, I guess she's making a lot of money off of it so you know whatever pays the bills you know she she does eventually give an explanation for why his rallies are so white. And it is it is a shockingly telling answer. You know, it's it's reaching at this point. And um and 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 absolutely, you know, 70% of this country is white. And uh and you know, and let's face it, you know, a lot of people um that um live in semi-urban and rural parts of Canada are mostly white. And I would say that um that you know most most people who've been the losers from globalization and from you know where the pandemic has really hit hard, these are people who live in these areas and they happen to be mostly white. So if 
you know, they're showing up at his events because something, uh, you know, because what he's saying resonates with them. What, what is, what is the crime in that? Yeah. Uh, you know, why, why is it, why is it, uh, why is it such a big deal? So you see, it's, it's all the white people from the suburbs that were just so dramatically hit by the pandemic. So therefore, that's why only white people are showing up to his rallies. Hmm. Yeah. The trucker movement <laughs> was mostly white because white people are the real working class, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, there's that aspect of it that is, like, completely bullshit. Like, almost assuming that some, like... The fact that she thinks that, what, like, only white people were dramatically affected by this pandemic? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, and I like, White like, small business owners were dramatically affected by this pandemic, Jody, and they're the ones that are going full mask-off fascist about it. But then there's also, uh, like, just the sense of uh, her, her saying that, the, like, what's the problem with this? And it's like... This is the critique that people were actually making, which is like, he is specifically appealing to a white demographic, right? And it's like, he could be appealing to, let's say, the urban people, not just the suburban people, or what she described it as the semi-urban, because I guess she didn't want to, like, spell the game out too much. <laughs> but what is semi-urban if not suburban? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but of course, it's like, he's not appealing to the urban people <laughs> you know uh and it's like yeah that's the point he's only appealing to the white demographic and trying to win their vote and of course those are the people who are showing up so it's like you're basically just saying everyone is right <laughs> but then going but why is it a bad thing i don't know maybe because it's racist <laughs> to only care about their concerns i don't know it couldn't be jody because who's delivering that message Oh, Rupa, right. Oh, yeah. sorry. I... <laughs> That's right. Apologize. God. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Racist. Oh, gotta, you know what? She Somebody's not me. eating enough falafel. Ah, she... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's, that's my, uh... <laughs> That's, that's how I, I earn my credit back. I just eat a bunch of falafel and then I get to go, see, Rupa, see... I can make these arguments now. I have consumed enough falafel. <laughs> Racial slur in one hand, falafel in another. I hate these people. <laughs> so, so stupid. Oh my god. Uh, uh, I I do it like I had I had to say this too. Uh, to end this because like Ezra's whole narrative since I've started this fucking podcast is that the right wing, or not the right wing, the, me the media party is taking all this bailout money. And because they've taken all this bailout money, they can't criticize Justin Trudeau because they're receiving government money. That means they're biased in favor of the government. Okay? That's been his whole argument. And one of the, the companies that he is mad at, that he thinks is biased for taking this money, is the National Post. And he's had several guests, Barbara Kay and Rupa Subramanya, to name like two that come to mind, that are constantly on his show, that work for one of these companies, that are pro P 
Pierre an anti-Trudeau. <laughs> and yet they're receiving bailout money. So it's like, how how can this be? How can this happen? You know. Well, they're guessing on Rebel in order to be able to finally voice their true opinions that they could never possibly share <laughs> in the National Post, famous for its liberalism. Well, she's on Ezra's show right now to talk about her National Post article criticizing people for criticizing Pierre for only having white people show up at his rallies, which was published in the fucking National Post. Listen, sometimes they get one right, you know? Vieto <laughs> <laughs> uh, clearly has been snacking on the falafel. <laughs> Listen to this four hour and 44 minute long <laughs> ambient song. <laughs> That's what I got this week. I am an hour and 38 minutes into it. <laughs> I had it playing in the background the entire recording session. <laughs> that is, that's what you, that is what the task is for this episode. <laughs> Suffer as I have suffered. This is, this is, a it's all right. Of- it's just very long. <laughs> This was a silly episode, and you know what? We we needed it after the Gavin episode. What? <laughs> uh, you know. So yeah, treat yourself. Uh, listen to four hours of ambient music. Why not? Yeah, treat yourself to a very long ambient song. Yeah, that is my message to you, <laughs> listeners. And uh, I guess we'll just call it there. So if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far. Please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can find videos on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find all the links in the show notes. Uh, l- lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And uh, the entire legal system. You canceled. No more laws. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.